Today's scripture comes from Proverbs, selected passages from Proverbs. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise in check. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Fools show their anger at once, but the prudent ignore an, an insult. A person with intense anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Don't make friends with an angry person, and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Mockers inflame a city, but the wise turn away anger. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Erica. This fall, we're in a series on the book of Proverbs. And we're calling it Get Wisdom. And what I've been trying to do over the past four weeks is to build a case and to make a case that wisdom is the rare treasure, the most valuable thing, the thing we should be most after, especially in our current climate, in our current world that's filled with so much division, so much conflict, and so much tension and polarization, that wisdom is the thing we need for our own sanity, for our own ability to think clearly about all these things that are happening, for our own faithfulness to Jesus, and the most valuable thing that we can get to be people who can serve and love our neighbors well. In the middle of all this division, disagreement, and polarization, even the people whom we disagree with and we have the hardest time with. That wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is the thing that if we get it, we can do those things. So I am building the case for those two words on the front of your bulletin, get wisdom. And it's not really me building the case. I'm showing you the case. I hope to show you the case in the book of Proverbs. So the last three weeks, I've focused on what the Proverbs teaches about our relationships. And relationships, according to Proverbs is where, more than any other place in our lives, we find out whether or not we are wise or fools. Wisdom is not theoretical. We don't find out in books or on tests that we take on paper. We find out in our relationships. So we've talked about how to repair them when they break or when they're strained in conflict. We've talked about how to talk to people, our words. Last week, we talked about how to talk about people what the Proverbs have to say about gossip and slander and bearing false witness. So today, what we are going to do is dig deeper underneath all of these relational issues to get to what is at the bottom, the source, 
of many of them. And it's no secret. It's in the bulletin. It was in those Proverbs. We're going to be talking about anger. Anger. It often leads to conflict, right? It often leads to the breaking and the straining of our relationships. Anger is the source of many of the words that we say that harm people and hurt people. Anger is at the root of so much of our gossip, so much of our slander and the way that we talk about other people. And I think we all realize right now that we live in a pretty angry world, an angry culture. Even among Christians, there's a lot of anger going around. Before the pandemic, before all the cultural divisions that surfaced and were inflamed over the past two years, a new term was being uh, used to describe this culture that we're all living and swimming in, and it was the term outrage culture. Maybe you heard that term. The idea is there's a new thing to be outraged about almost every day, and if you're not outraged about it, then you will be the person that people will be outraged about because you should be. And there's so much pressure, there's so much anger in the atmosphere. And we feel like we should be a part of it. We're being sucked into it. Our technology is designed to get us angry and to keep us angry. That's one of the main strategies, right, that the algorithm uses to make money off of us because more clicks happen. More scrolling happens when people are angry. That's the whole psychology of it, and they figured it out. Because of all this, a recent uh, article in the Washington Post said, we are living right now in a big anger incubator. And that is the life that we are living in. We all feel it. So we need wisdom on how to handle our anger, and Proverbs addresses it, as we've seen in the verses that were read. As I was looking at these verses and other parts of the book of Proverbs, I see at least five parts to this wisdom, and we're going to go through each of those one by one. They'll be up on the screen if you want to take notes first. The first part, admit that you have it. The first thing we noticed about the wisdom Proverbs gives us about anger is that it never says angry. It never says never be angry. It never says anger is always wrong or sinful. And this matches what the rest of the Bible has to say about anger. The Bible does not teach all anger is wrong or sinful. Look at Ephesians 4.29. It's there in your bulletin. It says, be angry and do not sin. Most people, most scholars think he's quoting, Paul's quoting uh, Psalm 4 here. You say, wow, this is interesting. The verbal form here is an imperative, meaning a command saying, be angry. It's like we're being commanded to be angry, but in a way that is not sinful. That's sinful. So the Bible assumes and allows for anger with the realization that anger often leads us into sin. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's look at a few Proverbs, 29.11 and 14.29. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper 
exalts folly. These are representative of Proverbs. It doesn't say anywhere in Proverbs that the fool gets angry and the wise person, they are just stoic and calm. It says the fool is quick to anger, gives full vent to anger, is controlled by anger. The wise person is slow to anger and is not controlled by it. Here is the obvious point I want to make at, the, at this juncture here in the message. The wise person then does get angry. The first step in getting wisdom for handling our anger is admitting it. We often like to give our anger other more, other more acceptable names, don't we? Say, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, it's an irritation. It's okay to acknowledge that anger varies in intensity. That's true. But Proverbs isn't interested in that. It's saying there's anger. You have it. You need to learn how to handle it. But the first step is admitting that you have it so we can get wisdom on it. Every day, uh, Ephesians 4.29 says we have a choice. It's interesting that it's like a daily uh, picture there. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Every day, you're going to have anger. What are you going to do with it that day? If you nurse it, if you feed it, if you foster it, if you give vent to it, if you justify it, it will grow. And you'll have it bigger the next day. Or if you deny it, if you suppress it, if you pretend it's not there, it will grow. And you'll have it bigger the next day. Either way, every day that you do either one of those things, Ephesians 4 says you give the devil an opportunity. You say, well, an opportunity for what? What does the devil do with opportunity? That's a whole other message, but we could summarize it like this. Unaddressed anger gives the devil an opportunity to fill your heart and mind with lies and deceit and to harden your heart toward God and wreak havoc in your relationships. So here's the first application, and I'm going to make everyone do this along with me. We are going to admit that we all have anger, even the nicest and most compliant people among us. So here, here we go. We're going to say it. I get angry. Ready? I get angry. There we did it. We can breathe. It's okay. Anger by itself is not sinful. Anger is an indicator. It's an alarm. It's an alarm going off and it's saying something is wrong or at least something seems wrong to me. That is not a sinful thing in and of itself. Here are a few definitions to consider. One, Ray Ortland, in his book on Proverbs, says, Anger is our hearts feeling that something is wrong. It's that feeling. Or a definition I've adopted or adapted from Tim Keller. Anger is energy felt and released to defend something you care about, value, or love. Anger is that emotional energy. It springs us into action. It moves us to do something about something that we feel is wrong, that seems wrong to us. And there is a lot wrong with the world. We all agree on that. There is a lot of wrong that can be done to us and to other people. So this means a person without any anger is a very unhealthy person. It means that person is apathetic about themselves and about what is good and right and true in the world around them. 
and doesn't care when something is wrong or when they are wrong. And all of that is not good. So this is the first place to start. We admit that we have it and we realize the Bible doesn't say anger in itself is wrong. It moves us and springs us into action when there is something wrong happening. So in Proverbs, the goal is not having no anger. You see this throughout. It is being slow to anger. You can look at 29.11, 15.18 in your bulletin, 14.29, Proverbs 19.11. Be slow to anger. That's the first part of the wisdom. That's just the first step. There are four more pieces. The second piece of wisdom that Proverbs gives us is this. Be aware Admit it, and then be very aware of the potency of anger. Anger is a very potent thing, the emotional energy. When we feel that something is wrong, it can lead to good, it can. But it also, and often does, lead to massive destruction in so many ways. Whenever uh, I'm making the drive down from Orange County to San Diego... Uh, you know, you pass by San Onofre, you pass by the nuclear power plant over there, those big things that are sitting right by the ocean. And uh, a few years ago, a number of years ago, it was, it was uh, powered down. It, it used to power uh, so much of San Diego, and they put it offline, but it's still, you, you drive by, you see cars there, there's still things happening there, and sometimes we talk about it, it's kind of like a dad thing, like, hey, boys, look at that power plant. Did you know this story? And I just repeat it every time we drive by, and it's shut down, but look at all the cars. Why are they there? Because it's nuclear power. It's still potent. You can't just turn off a switch and say, okay, let's move on. There is nuclear power in that plant. It used to produce much good, much power for the region. But now, people still have to watch it, care for it, power it down slowly, because if they don't, it can cause massive destruction. This is the potency of anger. And the wise person knows, I have the potency of a nuclear power plant within me. It's my anger. And Proverbs drives this home in numerous places. We're going to look at a number of those. First, Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. Anger has the power to stir up conflict in our relationships, to keep it going, to inflame it, and it can explode, this says, into many more sins. One scholar says, anger is the gateway drug to all kinds of other sins. We know that in our experience. When we're angry, it's so much easier to commit sins with our words, sins in our relationships, sins of gossip, and so forth. Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in wilderness uh, than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. I know that's like a cheap shot there maybe from the book of Proverbs. Like, what about the husband? And there's a lot said about the angry man in Proverbs. But here's the point. Unaddressed, constant anger has the power to make you an unbearable person a person others want to avoid. Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Anger leads to clouded, leads to clouded judgment. 
A quick-tempered man does foolish things. You don't think straight. You're not thinking rationally. When you're angry, you are a fool almost always, and you do foolish things. There's one moment in, um, in my life, the only time I got into a serious car accident, it was my fault, and it was because I was really angry, and there was an argument I was having in the car with someone else who will remain nameless, but it was all my fault, and we were driving, and I made a dumb decision, and it could have been bad, and I look back at that and go, man, how ashamed am I? If you can see yourself in your anger and what you're doing, you go, that is a foolish person. What are they saying and what are they doing? That is us in our anger. And here it says these plans that you can make motivated by anger, they're called schemes, evil schemes. Whenever we are in an angry place, the plans we make, they become schemes. And schemes are not good in the Bible. There are ways that we can hurt people ways that we are thinking of harming others. Proverbs 19, 19, the next slide. A person with incurs the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again in Proverbs 22. Don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. We're going to look at those two Proverbs in the next point as well. But for now, here's what I want you to see. Do you see what they're saying, these Proverbs? If you are a person who is quick to anger, an angry person, you put yourself outside of the help of other people, the help that you need. You wall them off. Your anger is like a barricade. Anger then has the power to block others from getting you the help, getting you the love that you need. Proverbs 29, 8. Mockers inflame a city, but the wise turn away anger. Note the contrast. The wise, they know how to turn away anger and to deflect it, how to deal with it. Mockers, angry, cynical people, blow up entire communities, entire cities. Proverbs is saying, be aware of the potency of of anger. If you don't handle it well, its energy can destroy everything. Your relationships, your mind, your ability to think clearly, your reputation, your ability to get help and have real friends. Proverbs 19.19, if you look at that again, it says, a person who does not wisely handle anger bears the penalty. When we're angry, what are we thinking? I am going to penalize you. I am going to give you the penalty. But Proverbs says, no. Yeah, you can hurt other people, but you're bearing the greatest penalty yourself. What is the great penalty? When we are controlled by anger, and we see all the harm and destruction it's causing, and all the turmoil it's causing within ourselves, what's our reaction to that most often? We get more angry. (laughs) And then we are stuck, we are controlled, and we are trapped. And so the explosions keep coming. But having said, all the, having said all those things, just like nuclear power, anger also has potency for good. Great potency. If you look in the reflection quotes in the bulletin, the very bottom, Matthew Henry said, It is true of anger, as we say of fire, that it is a good servant, but a bad master. It is good on the hearth but bad in the hangings. If 
if the fire gets out of the hearth and starts burning your house, bad. But if it's in the hearth, it's warming you. And it's fulfilling a great purpose. Proverbs is unique in the Old Testament in this way. In, in all, all the Old Testament, every time the words slow to anger are used, we've sung those in a number of times already this morning, every time those words are used, they're used of God. Many times, Exodus, Numbers, Joel, Jonah, Psalms, uh, Nehemiah, even the prophet Nahum. What Proverbs does is take that character trait of God that he is slow to anger and tells us this is how we should be also. This is how anger can be powerful for good, like the fire when it doesn't control us but has its proper place. It can do good. It can be the energy that causes us to act when something is wrong and needs to be addressed. When something needs to be done to protect, it moves us to protect or promote something that God loves and values. This is why the Bible never says God doesn't get angry. He's way too nice for that. No, it says God is slow to anger. And every time it says he is slow to anger, except one of these occurrences, every other time it says, and he is abounding in steadfast love. And here the Bible is putting two things together that is hard for us to keep together, and it's hard for us to conceive how they exist together, anger and love. But everywhere the Bible says these things go together, that his anger is not opposed to his love. It's a part of his love. How can God love if he doesn't get angry at the things that destroy us and destroy the world he made if he is not somehow moved when we are harmed? when we harm ourselves, when we harm the world he's made, if his response is, okay, no problem, let's just be nice here, that is not a God of love. That is not a God that anyone wants. If there's one sermon everyone knows, like in American history, uh, I was reminded of this this week. Uh, I was in one of our son's room, and it was sitting there, a part of this sermon or I, an essay about this sermon was sitting there, and we were talking about it. I said, oh, look. It's uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. You've probably heard about this in high school or at some point. It's the sermon that's pulled out of American history and said, look at this. Can you believe that people thought this? Can you believe that this was taught? Isn't it a good thing that we've moved on from sinners in the hands of an angry God? Glad that's gone. That was actually, that was the problem believing in a God like that. But is that true? What are we left with if we're not left with a God who is angry about the things that destroy? A God who is affected, who wants to stop the things that don't promote human flourishing and good. We are left with pretty decent people in the hands of a really nice God. What good is a God like that in a world of injustice? Or if you just say, we don't need that kind of God. We don't need God at all. We're left with sinners in the hands of other angry sinners. And do we really want that? The point I'm making here is love must get angry at anything that hurts or damages or burdens or destroys the thing that is beloved and valued. Love gets angry when the beloved hurts, when the beloved 
damages, burdens, or destroys even themselves. The person with no anger is a person with no love. Because it moves to action and can be potent for good. We see this in the life of Jesus. He was mad when he entered the temple. Because the temple became a place not to meet with God, but to do business and to run from God. He was angered by that. He was angered numerous times at the responses of people who had hardened their heart to the grace and the love and the redemption that he was offering. Point two, be aware of the potency of anger. For ill or for good. Third piece of wisdom on how to handle our anger. This is important for our time. I felt like I had to spend a little bit of time on this because of our current cultural moment. Third is, avoid it in others whenever possible. Coming back to some of the Proverbs we looked at, Proverbs 19, 19, let's just put those up on the screen, 22, 24, and 25, and 29, 8. There you see them. This is where it says, don't rescue the angry person, don't make friends with the angry person. Uh, Proverbs 22, don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. This is saying some people and some groups are in a place where they're characterized by anger. They're just set on fire and hot with anger, and they're devoid of wisdom and love. And Proverbs 22 says, these people and these groups will draw you in and suck you in and make you angry. You'll be trapped in it. Without knowing, it says this is like a snare. A snare, it's like a bear trap or something. You don't Walk into a snare knowingly. Oh, look, I'm going to walk in. Oh, you know, and your, and your leg is caught in the jaws of death or whatever. That's what this is saying. You don't know it. You don't realize it, but you can be trapped and inflamed in the anger of others. We slowly get caught up in what we think is righteous anger, and we're drawn in, we're trapped, and we're controlled. Let's apply this. The wise person in our modern technological age We'll have to ask. The spaces that I'm engaged in online, the social media that I am consuming, are they angry spaces? How much of what I see in my friends and companions, my companions, my friends online, or the things that are coming in my feed are hot-tempered, inflaming anger, fueling outrage. Proverbs says you will learn these ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So maybe we can ask, will this post or repost or scroll or tweet or comment, will this inflame or will this turn away anger? If everyone asks that question in all of the Internet, maybe the Internet would shut down for the day. The wise person knows how to slow their anger, slow it down so that it can be channeled for good. This is very hard if it's always being flamed everywhere and for everything. So, Proverbs says, avoid it in others. Not always, but whenever it's possible and in most cases. Fourth point, ask it why. Proverbs teaches us to ask our anger the question, why? The main contrast between wise and fools in Proverbs when it comes to anger, as we see in almost all these references, is the the fool gives full vent. He is quick to anger. He is hot-tempered versus the wise person who is slow, slow to anger. You slow down anger, one, by admitting it, two, by being aware of its potency, three, 
by avoiding being snared in other people's anger that doesn't involve you. And four, by asking your anger, why? All the Proverbs that say, slow down to anger, are saying, another way of saying this is, don't trust your anger. Don't trust it. Question it. I saw this tweet. Yeah, I was on Twitter this week. I know. I just said that's dangerous. It is dangerous. But I saw this tweet. It's by uh, Ray Orland who wrote a commentary on Proverbs. And he said this little letter to anger. Listen to this. Dear anger, you feel so good, but you are so bad. Your moral fervor is immoral. You corrupt even our just causes. You poison everything we desire. I don't trust you. Emphatically, Ray. That's the kind of letter we should all be writing to our own anger. I don't trust you. So I'm going to ask you why. What is the wrong that I'm feeling here? Why am I angry? God, in the Bible, to two of the most angry people in the Bible, Cain and Jonah. You know what he asked them? When they were inflamed with anger, very unrighteous anger, he came to them. Both, he said, why? Why are you so angry? Now, what was the God of the universe doing, stepping into these angry men's lives and saying, why? He was giving them a chance to see that their anger had nothing to do with him and everything to do with themselves. Their pride, their ego, the desires that they had made into their gods. He said, why? If we ask why to our anger, what makes us most angry will show us what we most love and value, what it is we want to protect and promote. There are many examples that we could give to this. Let's consider one in parenting. Parents, sometimes we get angry about the behavior of our kids or their grades or their attitude. We slow down and ask, why? Many times, what we can find out is we ask ourselves the question, I want to pr- do I want to promote my child's good? Do I want to protect my child? And often that's there. But often the energy is, I want to promote myself. I want to protect my image and my reputation. I want to protect my security and the fears that I have about being a bad parent. We could ask that why question and do this with numerous examples. When we ask our anger why, often what we'll find is that what we're trying to protect and promote, the thing that we love and we value, has very little to do with God and His purposes for that person or situation and so much to do with ourselves, our pride, our comfort, our need for approval, and many other things. We have to ask it why. Another reason we need to slow down is that many times our anger has nothing to do with the situation that we're responding to or the other person and what they said or did. Anger is often called a secondary emotion. It is emotion that we feel in response to other emotions that we don't want to feel. 
Instead of feeling hurt or grief or sadness or loneliness or fear, we go to anger. Because unlike hurt and grief and fear and loneliness, anger makes us feel like we are in control, but none of those other ones do. This is why it feels good to be angry, because I'm doing something about something I don't like, something that hurts, something that feels wrong. When I'm angry, I feel powerful and in control, but none of those other things give me control. And so in a situation that happens, it's a minor thing or some words that people speak to us or things they do to us, anger comes out of us or anger comes to us, but it has nothing to do with what we said or did or what that other person said or did. It has everything to do with, un- with, with, with the thing that's underneath that anger, the hurt, the grief, the loss, the fear, and the loneliness. So we always need to slow down. James 1, we read this earlier in the service, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. One more more reason to slow down our anger is because to be angry for the right reason, you're promoting and protecting the right things, you're loving and valuing the right things, so the right reason... In the right amount, in the right proportion, and at the right speed is so very rare. So very rare that James says human anger never can accomplish God's righteousness. It made me think of some examples. And there were, there were many examples that I had where I had seen my own anger out of proportion, out of pace and timing. And for the wrong reason. I was thinking sometimes in our house we get water that puddles up underneath the fridge because we have our water thing there, you know. And I'm wearing socks in the house. And I step in the puddle of water. And it's like the worst thing that ever has happened in the world. Like, how could you? I have to get new socks. That's out of proportion to the water puddle and getting new socks. Or, you know, when I'm doing the dishes and it's just me, I actually kind of like doing the dishes. I'm okay with it. But sometimes I'm all alone and everyone's doing other stuff. And if somebody's like, I'm going to watch TV, I'm going to do this. I'm like, wait a minute. How could you all leave me to do the dishes by myself? Get over here right now and let's help out. It has nothing to do with, hey, it's important to teach uh, our family and our kids, like, you do your part. You're a part of this family. Let's all share in the responsibility. It has everything to do with, I am too important to be treated like this. And so it's way out of proportion. It's for the wrong reason. For most of us, every day we face scenarios like that. Is it going to come fast and hot? Or are we going to slow it down and say, why? Why is this anger welling up? Why am I angry? Human anger alone cannot accomplish God's righteousness. It does not set things right. Because if all I have, if all we have is our anger, the wrong that I feel, the wrong uh, that I care about, it won't be set right if all we have 
is our anger. We might get our way, but we're only going to do it by doing more wrong. Anger needs to be something we move through. Anger needs to be something that takes us somewhere else. And let me get to that in this fifth point. The fifth piece of wisdom that is alluded to in the book of Proverbs is this. Allow it. Allow your anger to lead you to Jesus. Now, this sounds way too simple. Okay, way too over-spiritual, I know, because anger, like, okay, how is this going to help me to handle it? Let me explain. Proverbs 29, 11. I think we have that on the slide. We could put it back up. Okay, we don't, but you can keep those uh, verses up. Uh, Proverbs 29, 11. I meant to put it on the slide. It says this. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Holds it in check. Literally, it could be translated, keeps it until afterward. Doesn't give, you feel it? Something's wrong? Something must be done? Wait. I'm going to keep it till afterward. What does that mean? After what? What does a slow to anger person do with that anger? Just let time pass? No. Bruce Walke, uh, one of my professors, scholar of Proverbs, says the form of the verb here suggests anger is held until after the person is able to process it with God. Controlling our anger does not mean denying it, suppressing it. It means knowing where to take it. When we get angry, we have three options. Just go with it. Vent it. Let it out. That usually stirs up more anger. Two, stuff it, deny it, pretend to be nice. It simmers. It doesn't go away. It grows. It gives the devil opportunity. Harsh words are stirred, maybe not outside, but inside against that person. Harsh thoughts are held on to. It stirs up more anger. The third one, the third option, we can vent it. We can try to suppress it or we can let it take us to God. We can go with God. We can go with it to God and let him answer it. How does he answer it? We can put those verses up. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How has God handled his anger toward us? How does God deal with all the wrong that we have done? The wrong we've done against him, the wrong that we have done against each other, against things that God values and loves against his own glory and honor and reputation that he must promote and protect because he is the God of the universe. We deserve his anger. Our anger has blown up the things that God loves. And how does God answer it? He answers it in a way that turns away wrath. That the energy of his anger, it doesn't blow us up. God, in his answer to anger, has found a way to deal with the offense and save the offender. How? Well, the wisdom of God. How can he destroy the sin and not the sinner? It's through the work of Jesus Christ. God, God in Christ absorbed the anger in our place. He absorbed the anger against the offense, even as he held on to his love to preserve the offender. Back to the illustration.
of nuclear energy and radiation. If that power plant down in San Diego, if it were to leak and radiation were to get out, things would just start dying everywhere. Things would be destroyed. If there was an explosion, it would destroy everything. But radiation, the energy of radiation can be used for much good. It can be used if it's targeted and pinpointed against the cancer that is inside of a human body. You take that radiation, you focus the energy on the cancer to save the person. And this is what God has done in Christ for us. He didn't blow it all up. He focused the anger, the energy against the cancer and the sin that is destroying us to save us. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. In Christ, God has absorbed his anger. He has covered his anger in love. And it is that covering, absorbing love, absorbing love, that doesn't stir up anger, but slows it. And when we go to God with our anger and he meets it with a gentle answer, turns away his wrath, we can in turn process, slow down our anger, and in the same way, we can learn to pinpoint it gently. We don't put it aside. We answer. Proverbs 51 says, doesn't say we ignore it. We ignore wrath, and we turn it away through a gentle answer. Instead of going after the person, instead of going into attack mode and blowing things up, we take that, we funnel that energy, and through gentleness, we learn to address things that are wrong. We learn to address things that seem wrong to us without harming the person, without attacking the person, and instead going after the thing that is harming them or us. When our anger is gentled, Thomas Akempis, another quote from the front of the bulletin, describes the kind of mindset that we can develop. Be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. We can slow down our anger, realizing we are not what we would wish to be. We are not what God would wish us to be, but God meets us with a gentle answer, answering our anger, absorbing our anger in Christ. So we can, in turn, learn to do the same thing when we are angry. Let's pray for the grace to do that. Would you pray with me? God... How grateful we are that you love us, that you care about the things that harm, hurt, and destroy us, that you don't leave us to those things, but you have come in passion to rid us of those things. And in your great wisdom, you have found a way to rid us of those things without ridding us all together in Jesus. Thank you for that gentle answer that turns away your wrath. I pray for us, for myself, for all of our anger, 
uh, that we would learn to be people who are slow to anger, who have the wisdom to know why we are angry, and the grace to develop the gentleness, to know anger can lead us to love. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.